1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 17, going to chapter 3, verse 13. And I just want you to see the love Paul has for this church, and the church is love for Paul and his team. And I want you to remember the verse that we read at the beginning of the service. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do people know that we follow Jesus by how we love one another? All right, that's why I want us to be thinking, does, does this look like the love we have for each other? And you'll see this. Uh, man, you see Paul's love by how he cares for the church and how the church cares for Paul. You see it through how he sacrifices and serves the church. You'll see it by how they celebrate their faith, standing firm in the faith together. And you'll see it by how they pray for one another. So as we read, I don't want you to be passive. Don't let your mind wander. But as we read, see if this is how we love one another. All right, here we go. Verse 17, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, some versions say in person, but not in heart, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to come to you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We went, or we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be able to unsettle you with trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, we were with you. When we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you have always pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit moves. I pray that you change us to look more and more like Jesus. And we pray for the same things that Paul prays for this church in Thessalonica. That you help us grow spiritually. That you open up doors for ministry. That you increase our love for one another. 
and that we walk with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, football season is right around the corner. And you're like, well, it's not even close to fall. You haven't experienced summer break. Well, summer break is not a break for football players. As a matter of fact, the summer is the hardest time for those who play football. You get two weeks. It's called the dead period. You do nothing. But as soon as that's over, second week in July, you're outside. We have a beautiful track at Holmes High School, and our coach loves to utilize the track. If you've ever seen linemen run a mile, come out and check us out. So you get a mile, you run a little bit, then you get on the field, you're running back and forth. Guys are bent over, they're done, they're exhausted. You're giving water breaks, you go up to the weight room, and the weight room smells like you think it would smell. It's dungy, it's humid, sweat all over the place, and yet guys are just pumping out weight, bending down, pushing it out, trying their best. And then all of a sudden, you hear Coach Nevels, in a way that only he can do, yell, you gotta love it. You gotta love it. And guys, especially the young ones, look at him and like, man, what is wrong with this fool? There's nothing about this that I love. And then you'll have a practice, and you don't have two-a-days anymore. So some of you guys that have played football, they don't do two-a-days anymore. You get to show up for one practice one day. It's nice. It's nice. But you know what? Football practices aren't easy. It's a brutal sport. You get bruises all over your arms and legs. Every play, you're bumping heads with somebody. Sometimes you get the guy, and sometimes you get God. And you're sore, and you're tired, and guess what? Guys show up day after day after day, and the refrain from Coach Nevels is, you gotta love it. Now, what does he mean? He means if you're gonna run and sweat, and be exhausted and lift until you can't really walk or sit down in school the next day because your legs are so sore and tired. You gotta love it more than the pain you're going through. You gotta love being at practice more than being comfortable at your home in the AC playing video games. You gotta love your teammates more than hanging out with your girlfriend. You gotta love Friday nights more than the pain of practice Monday through Thursday. You gotta love it. And you wanna know what I've noticed? In the church, what Paul is saying here is we gotta love each other. And you wanna know what? It's not easy to love each other. When you look in the room, we have different ages, different demographics, all sorts of backgrounds. And yet we, we've been seeing again and again about victory. Our identity in Christ is what unites us. And the blood of Christ is thicker than anything that separates us. And how awesome, what a testimony we have to a watching world when they say, why in the world is he sitting next to her at a dinner table or at worship or serving the community? Because only God gets the credit for that. You got to love the church. Now, real quick, and I know we have different backgrounds in the room. When we say church, we don't mean a physical building. One day, this building 
will tumble. The bricks will give out, the walls will cave in, but the church will remain. So it's not what is the church, it's who's the church. The church are all of those who have been called out of the world and are in Christ. Now for us, locally, it's you and I, believers in Christ, saying we're going to follow Jesus together. That's the church. So when I say you got to love the church, look to the person sitting to your right and to your left, and if they are in Christ, that's who I mean. That's who I mean. So this message today is a little bit more personal than we usually get. Uh, we're going to get up in each other's business uh, tonight or this morning um, because this is vitally important as we move forward. And Paul makes this clear to the church in Thessalonica. Church is not something you come to for an hour on a Sunday. That's a restaurant. That's a game. That's a Kentucky Derby. But that's not the church. The church is who we are. And we desperately need one another. There are no expendable people here. So you got to love the church. Four things on how to love the church. Or at least how... Paul shows us how to love the church. And the first one, if we're going to love one another, it'll be through caring for each other. Love one another through caring for each other. And you see this uh, at the end of chapter 2. Paul's concerned for this young church. And he had to leave in a hurry. And I think he's afraid that the church thinks that Paul abandoned them. He's concerned about how they are doing, and he wants to get to them. He longs to be It says that he is genuinely concerned, intense longing, making every effort to get back to Thessalonica, but he can't. It's closed door after closed door after closed door. And he recognizes that there's a spiritual deterrent from him getting there. Satan is hindering his way. But he's trying to get the message back to the church. Hey, I haven't forgot about you. While I'm not there physically, you are always on my mind and always on my heart. He's concerned with the church. He cares for them and wants to see them. Mark Howe puts it this way. Paul recognized the value and worth of people. Most significantly, he recognized that he needed others as much as they needed him. People were not stepping stones for him where he wanted to go. He loved people to whom he preached and he longed to be with them. The true evidence of love is longing to be with the ones you love. Do you care for one another? He also cared about them spiritually. You see this in the first part of verse 5. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Are you concerned? Do you care about someone else's walk with Christ? I'll give you a, a, an example. Last night, Quincy, what was it? There was a big what? Big party, big dance, on a boat, prom. The boat didn't sink, which is good. But we had a lot of young men, a lot of young ladies go to prom. And you want to know what? As having a, a junior in high school, how awesome is it to know that there is a church behind us praying for our students. There's a lot of good things that can happen at a prom, and there's a lot of bad things that can happen at a prom. 
How awesome as a church family that we lift up our students as they walk through that. How about this? Some of us are retired and some of us are approaching retirement. How awesome is it knowing that we as a church can pray for one another, that we use our retirement to the glory of God and not for our own comfort, not for our own selfish ambition, not to relax and coast, but to serve Christ. And that you have a church that cares about how you handle retirement. Paul cares about them spiritually, but then also it's refreshing to see that the church also cares for Paul. You get down to chapter 3, verse 6, and Timothy brings back the good news. They have pleasant memories of them, and they long to see Paul and his crew just as much as they long to see them. In 2012, uh, we took a, a mission trip to Benin, Africa, and it's about a seven and a half hour flight to Europe, and then about a seven and a half hour flight from, I think it was from Austria down to Cotonou in Africa. Long flight. I get the middle seat. I felt bad for myself, and I felt bad for the people sitting right next to me, right? Big guy, middle seat, not a lot of room, not comfortable, seven and a half hours. Well, then you get to Cotonou, and we make our way out to the bush country. There is no AC out in the bush country in Benin, Africa. There's heat, there's snakes, and there's mosquitoes. So we get our mosquito net, and at night, you're losing weight because you're sweating. Should have brought a picture of the bathrooms, not luxury bathrooms. It's a hole in the ground. Your bath is a tub of water, and you just pour it over yourself. And you don't want to take it in because then you will get sick. The humidity is sticky. You're sweating. We're trying to train up some pastors. And, man, I loved it. I loved it. I, lo I love to see how God was moving halfway across the globe, raising up dynamite leaders to take the gospel to where it's never been. You want to know what the hardest part of the trip was? It wasn't the bush rat that they handed to Rick through the window with the blood dripping off of it. That was gross, but that wasn't, that wasn't too tough. It wasn't sweating night and day and then almost getting dehydrated because you're running out of bottled water. That was tough, but that wasn't the toughest. The toughest part was leaving at this time three girls and my wife back home. And there's no cell service in the bush country. And so you couldn't call back to check in to see how they were doing. And in that picture, and it might be hard to see, the little girl there, that's not Dia. That's Camden. And she's young. And I'm just thinking, this was two weeks. Like, man, I haven't been able to check. I hope everything's good. Now, we, we had family back here, and everything went well. But that feeling, that longing, I think is what Paul is talking about. Now, this is, this is where I want us to, to drive this home. Is that anywhere close how we feel for one another you want to know what the crazy part is in the church today in the United States someone could be gone from a Sunday service one week two weeks three weeks and will we notice you see we have to care for one another so that's, that's the longing that Paul has for this church. This is the care 
in which we are talking about. This is the care in which we are trying to get to. If you're taking notes, write down Romans 12, 9 through 13. Here are some practical ways to show that you care. Some practical ways to show that you care. This is coming from Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. Love must be sincere. You can't fake this. Uh, For those that have played sports or have done things, um, you know when a coach actually cares and when a coach says that he cares, but he doesn't really. You know when a teacher says that they care and when a teacher actually cares. You know, or I've seen in ministry, pastors who say they care about their congregation, but then I've seen pastors who lay their lives down for their congregation. They don't have to say they care. Their people know it. I've seen church members say they care about one another, but then I've seen church members care for one another. You can't fake it. So Paul to the church in Rome says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Whew! What are you devoted to? couple of things the Bible say that we should be devoted to prayer and then right here love for one another honor one another above yourselves man our, our, I can't say my generation the generation coming behind me the the participation trophies they love to honor themselves they want the credit they want you to say how great they are and if you don't they'll tell you how great they are But here, what you see is honor others above yourself. Who have you honored in the church? Hey, and we have example after example of people that we should honor. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And then I love this, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Open up your homes to one another. Invite somebody in. If you don't know the name of someone, don't be scared to go introduce yourself. Invite them over. Invite them in. Go meet somewhere. Grab a coffee together. Get a lunch together. Get a breakfast together. Get in each other's lives. Because here's the cool part. For those in Christ, we are family. That's why we say brother or sister. Because in Christ, we've been adopted by the Father. In 1 John chapter 3, it says that we are children of God. And that's not some picture of what it could be. It's reality. God is our Father because of what Christ has done for us. And in Ephesians 2, because we are, we are the household of God. It's an amazing thing how many organizations try to rip this off, saying, hey, we're family. Our work family, or a business, this is our family on this floor. Even our baseball team. We break out one, two, three, family, four, five, six, bulldogs. It's an amazing thing. Everybody's hungry for family, and the church has it. Not in thought or a daydream, but in reality. We are family. And you can't fake concern and care for one another. I was a student pastor at a former church, and uh, this was, uh, it was a good church, and, and I'm not complaining about it, but I was amazed at the reaction of one of our deacons. And listen, just so you know, I, I'm not a complainer about deacons. I think deacons, um, especially here, they, they know how to serve. 
and they won't broadcast what they're doing. There's so many things going on behind the scenes where you have faithful deacons that love you and love this church and sacrifice and work for your good. But at this church, we had a deacon, and students would sit over here in, in this section. And it was a massive, massive sanctuary congregation. We had about 120 students show up, and we had all different backgrounds. Some of their families were in the church. Some of their families weren't. And after a Sunday, they had left bulletins under their seat. And uh, I see it. I'm like, oh, I'll have to come back and get that. I go down front for the invitation, and I come back. And before I could make it back, I had a deacon come up and say, hey, you need to figure out how to get this problem solved. And I thought, oh, man, I have no idea what he's talking about. This can't be good. And he goes, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you look under the seats, your kids have left a mess. And that, it did everything in me not to say, at this time I had one kid, and she was in the nursery, and she didn't read and didn't have a bulletin. Felt like being a smart aleck. Hey, I don't know if you noticed, but my kid didn't take a bulletin. What are you talking about? But I didn't. I asked a couple of our student leaders, hey, guys, if you don't mind, can you come here, pick up these bulletins? Uh, and, and in two minutes, all the bulletins picked up spotless, and we left. And as I thought about that, this is, this is what I wondered. And this is, this is what I thought. I wonder if the deacon cared more about paper on the floor than the people sitting in the chair. He couldn't name one of the students, but he knew the problem. And, and you want to know what? I don't think that's a far trip for us to take. We have to make sure that we don't put our preferences over people. Here's the awesome part. In that church, you also had a lady who never came to a student event, never once came to a student event, and she would come up to me after a Sunday, and it'd just be about once every other month. She goes, hey, uh, Ben, I got a check for student ministry. I'm going to try to send five students to camp this year. And she would write a check, and she didn't come from money. She didn't have a ton, but she would write down one student on the memo line. And then she'd write second student. And she would send five students to camp every year. You see, you're going to be one of two type of people. You're either going to care about the paper on the floor or the people in the pews. And my prayer is that as a church, people will see our love for Jesus by how we care for one another. Secondly, what does Paul do? Paul shows that he loves Jesus by how he sacrifices and serves the church. So we love one another through serving and sacrificing for each other. And this is verses 1 through 3, and this is where, man, Paul has a dude in ministry. Michael Jordan had Scottie Pippen. Steph Curry had Clay Thompson. Well, Paul had Timothy. And he's getting ready to go in Athens, and Athens is packed. It's an important city. There's a lot of work to do. And he's like, man, I just can't get the church out of my heart and out of my mind. And so he says, hey, Timothy, I need you to go back. And check on our brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. And so he's left alone in Athens, sending some of his guys back to check on the church. Why? Because Paul 
cared more about people than his preferences. He cared more about Christ than his comfort. It was about spreading the gospel. It was about loving and caring for one another. Paul has a resume of sacrifice and service. And I think this resume, we're, we're working, we're getting ready to graduate. And students, as they graduate, they have to come up with their own resume. And sometimes it's tough to fill in. So where have you worked? Oh, I haven't. Well, what are you good at? Call of Duty. Not a great job skill. That's just a video game. What else can you do? Well, I've got this. Many. I can do TikTok. I'm like, oh, well, hey, social media marketing. Maybe we could stretch it. A lot of experience. How many followers you got? Two. My mom and my dad. Ah, it's not helpful. Trying to build resumes. Paul, when he has a resume of sacrifice and service, just check this out. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28, this is what we read. Are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 40 lashes is a death sentence. And yet Paul, again and again, is sacrificing and serving the church, risking his life. Three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day at the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, and danger from my fellow Jews, and danger from Gentiles, and danger in the city, and danger in the country, and danger at sea, and danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Paul knew what it meant to sacrifice and serve the church. But you want to know what the result was? The church never guessed if Paul loved them. They knew it by how he sacrificed and served Christ and his church. So you'll hear again and again, people over preferences and Christ over comfort. Um, I was rebuked not too long ago, gently, gently by a, and listen, I don't even remember which member it was, an older member. Uh, we were setting up our first fellowship downstairs where we all come together, right? We have lunch, and, and listen, we have some families in here that can cook. So when we do a potluck where everybody brings something, bring a fork. It is fantastic. So we're setting this up, and we're downstairs, and we have these white circle tables, and we put the, the white plastic chairs out, right? White plastic chairs out, and everything matches, and on Tuesday, I set this up with uh, some of my guys, and man, it looks good. Everything matches. We're done. We take the blue chairs, brown chairs with the handles out, put all the white plastic chairs around. We're ready. We're set. Well, I come back in Wednesday night, and there's a blue chair here and a brown chair here, and here's a cushion. And I'm like, man, I had this thing cleaned. Everything was good. Everything matched. So I, I loaded up the chairs on the dolly, took it back in the room, back to storage. Thought, all right, now we're set. We're ready for Sunday. Well, I come in Saturday night. And somehow these chairs keep walking out of storage and getting around these tables. And I thought it was my brother playing a game, playing a prank on me. I'm like, man, I'm going to whoop him when I see him. Get the chairs, put them back in storage. And then on Sunday, we're here. And uh, I had a member come and just gently didn't mean anything by it. She goes, hey, uh, Pastor, do you mind if I grab a blue chair out here so that when I sit down, I can get back up? You know, in my brain, that never crossed my mind. But she needed handles so that she could lift up. And, and she just said that, like, listen, I'm getting a little bit old. My legs don't work like they used to. My back hurts. I just need some help getting up. 
And I thought, man, what a fool. What a fool I was. All I had to do was set out some chairs with handles. And I kept thinking, man, we need to match so everything looks good down here. Man, never, ever, ever, ever put your preferences over people. So now we'll make sure we have blue chairs, brown chairs. We could even put chairs with lifts to help people up. Whatever's needed down there. The same is true in parking. The same is true in parking. Um, here's the awesome part. I'm still strong enough to walk. As a matter of fact, I live three streets down. I could walk from home. I can park. I, I just take a personal challenge. I'm going to try to park further away than you on Sunday mornings. But the reason why, when we pull up to the parking lot, don't think, don't think, man, I've got to get as close as I can because I don't want to get my hair wet. Thankfully, I can't mess my hair up. Some of you ladies, you might want to think that way. Think about this. If I park here, does that leave a spot for someone else who may need it more than I do? And then park far away. You know, that sacrifice and serving shows up in love for others. Did you know that that coffee out there, that big bin of coffee, two ladies do that every Sunday morning? Do you know they don't get paid for that? You want to know what? Our coffee's good coffee. It smells good out there. It's strong, and it's hot. Mike Hall, he's not here, so we get to say this about him. Mike Hall yesterday, or last Sunday, I noticed he had two cups. And I go, Mike, why do you got two cups? He goes, like, brown. That coffee's hot. I'm like, yes, we have hot coffee, Mike. He goes, it's too hot. It's burning my hand. Put another cup in there. Next time you see him, tell him, don't be a sissy. Use one cup back there at the coffee pot. But we have two ladies... And they show up earlier than anybody else to put on coffee and make sure we have the stuff that we need because they want to sacrifice and serve. Praise team. Praise team shows up early to practice. They put in work serving the Lord. We have a teaching team here. Dan, can you wave your hand real quick? Wilton, can you wave your hand real quick? Wes, uh, we have Rick, Matt has taught. We have other ladies that are teaching Sunday. We have uh, ladies teaching back in the nursery, giving biblical truths to our students. Like multiple people using their gifts to serve and sacrifice. But you know, you also can serve and sacrifice outside of these walls. And that's the majority of where sacrifice and service happens. Think about how you can sacrifice and serve this week. Might be through praying for someone. Might be through writing someone a card. Might be making a phone call. Might be inviting someone out for a meal. But think about how you can sacrifice and serve someone this week. Do people know that you love one another by how you sacrifice and serve them? Thirdly, love one another through celebrating each other. Now, I I think this has to be careful. What was Paul celebrating in the Thessalonians? Their faith. They rejoice that they're standing firm in their faith. Persecution didn't squash it out. Young Christians walking with Jesus, and they're celebrating that. There's so many examples that we have of this in our church, of people standing firm in their faith. And many of you are walking through difficult times. We have people that are losing their health and yet still following Jesus. We have people who have lost a loved one and they are still holding fast to Jesus, looking for the day for Him to return or for them to meet them in the air. 
We have several young people who are saying, you know what, I'm going against what culture is saying, and I'm walking with Jesus. Example after example after example, and that is what we celebrate. We don't celebrate big budgets. We celebrate people who are standing firm in the faith. And when we have examples of that, we need to present that and celebrate it. Jeff Schmidt, Jeff, wave your hand real quick so people know. Jeff has made UDF and Taylor Mill an outpost for the gospel. Goes there, takes up shop, tells people about Jesus, helps a brother out that's at UDF who has Jehovah Witnesses recruiting them. Man, there's much work to do. Keep standing firm in the faith. And as you see, people stand firm. Celebrate it. And then before we get into our final one, I want you just to notice, it's a little bit of a side note, but notice again and again our common enemy. Satan kept Paul from coming to Thessalonica, and then Paul was concerned that the tempter would tempt the church from turning away from the gospel to something else. Did you see that? It's in chapter 2, verse 18, and then chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, and Paul's worried about that enemy. And the enemy hasn't changed. The enemy's not you, and the enemy's not me. It's not other church members. I was reading a story just this week, speaking about coffee. They, uh, church switched from Folgers to Starbucks and lost 20% of their members over that. Just fighting. You want to know what? That's not an accident. Satan would love for you to be consumed with yourself and your preferences. He would love for you to get bitter over lighting, over colors of ceilings or walls, over a parking spot, over a seat. If he can make church about you, bitterness will go through the roof and divide will come. You have an enemy. Peter talks about how you have a, an enemy, like he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't let it be you. Don't let the church be about you. Love Jesus. Love others. Coach Moore, football coach for us, was in a huddle. Um, the team was gathering up. They were calling the play. And a fight broke out in the huddle. His offensive tackle was punching his running back because the running back said he stunk at blocking. The tackle said, well, I might stink at blocking, but I'll whoop you. And sure enough, they tackle each other, throwing punches, rolling around. And Coach Moore had to call a timeout. He goes, it's the first time I've ever had to call a timeout to break up a fight in our own huddle. He goes, man, this is nuts. Middle schoolers. And I thought, yeah, that's a funny story. I felt like saying that's nothing compared to some of the churches I've heard. And the silly fights we get into it with one another. But that's not this church. That's not this church. We will celebrate each other as we stand firm in the faith. As, as we're faithful in our marriages, as we're faithful in our parenting and raising kids, as we're faithful in retirement, faithful in working and handling resources that God's blessed us with, we're going to celebrate standing firm in the faith understanding that we have an enemy looking to divide us, getting us distracted. And I promise you this, when Jesus blesses, Satan will seek to divide. And he can't stand what's going on here. Keep following Jesus. And then finally, love one another through, prayer, uh, through praying for each other. And you can read this. It's the last few verses of chapter 3. 
You're praying for spiritual growth. That's verse 10. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. You see, Paul had to leave before he could keep all of what he wanted to teach. And so this letter will help talk about the second coming of Christ and holiness, walking in purity. Like He's going to get to that, but he's praying for spiritual growth. Did you notice how much he's praying? Night and day and earnestly. Paul knows how to sweat spiritually. Is anybody here sweating spiritually? How awesome would it be to have a church filled with people who night and day are earnestly seeking the face of God on behalf of spiritual growth in our members? I'll just give you some specific examples. Tracy Pope coaching high school girls. You think that's an influential position? It is. It is all the girls in Covington that want to play basketball. He can have the opportunity to coach. But do you think Jesus might have a bigger plan than just winning basketball games? I do. I do. So one thing I've been praying for Tracy is that he sees the opportunity to spread the gospel. And that's just one of our members. Who are you praying for spiritual growth? Secondly, praying for open doors. And we've seen this, verse 11, talking about how Jesus can clear the road so he can get back to Thessalonica. And we've talked about this as a church, asking for open doors. It's an amazing thing when you ask for open doors, the doors will open. But I'll also say we pray for open doors, and sometimes they've been closed. Um, similar time, 2012, uh, getting back from the, the mission trip, Julianne and I thought that child number four would come through adoption. And we started the application process, and, and we're praying through it, asking God to open up a door in India. We got to pay our down payment, filled out the app, everything was good, and then India changed the requirements saying that if you want to adopt from India, you've got to be of Indian descent. Now, there's a lot of hoops we can jump through, but Julianne and I couldn't change that at that time. And we don't know why, but God closed that door, but opened up another. And so as you pray for open doors, never be surprised at what door closes and what door opens. But as it opens, walk through it. Number three, so you pray for spiritual growth, pray for open doors, pray for the Lord to help us love each other. And, and I think the verse, verse 12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. How cool is that to pray for one another? That's something that I'd love to see what happens when we start praying that for each other. And so Elvis, when I see you in the morning, Elvis gives us a hard time. Elvis, can you wave your hand real quick? Elvis works at Holmes High School. He does not have outside duty in the morning, but I do. And some recently have been cold mornings. And every time he goes up the steps, he makes a comment if I'm inside. Brown, I thought you were tougher than that. Oh, Brown, is it too cold for you outside? Right? But you want to know what? As he goes, I pray for him, and I believe he prays for me. And then I go up to the third floor, and freshmen are crazy. Freshman students are crazy, and Mr. Fight gets them all. He has all the crazies in his classroom, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth period. And isn't it awesome, as I see him, I can pray for him that his love for you and your love for him would increase and overflow. I get to sit right next to Coach Pope at work, and as I see him, I get to pray for him. And for whatever reasons, many of you pop into my mind, something happens or a name comes up or an all-call goes out, and I'm able to pray for you. How awesome would it be if I prayed that your love would increase and overflow for one another? Would you be willing to do that for our church? that you would pray specifically for people by name that their love will increase and overflow for one another. And, and then, 
Finally, pray for spiritual strength. And this is what the rest of the book will be about, chapters 4 and 5. Paul talks about to be blameless and holy, ready for Christ to return. Blameless and holy, ready for Christ to return. We'll pick up that topic at a later date as we walk through the book of 1 Thessalonians. But I want to leave you with this. How can we do this as a church? How can we do this as a church? This is how. John 13, 34, 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you know who's speaking there? Jesus. And you want to know where Jesus is heading? To the cross. The greatest example of love ever displayed is Jesus on the cross dying for those he loves. No greater love than this that a man lays his life down for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus does for you and for me. And now here's the awesome part. When you realize how much you are loved by the Son of God, that love transforms your heart and enables you to love others the way he loves you. If you're here this morning and you do not know the love of Christ, you can today. The Bible talks about everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can trust his work for your sin, your shame, and your guilt covered on the cross. That's why he died, so that you and I can have life. If you're looking for a church home, I encourage you to join up with us. We're not perfect, and we're growing in our love for one another, but we are serious about loving and walking with Jesus and loving and walking with you. I do know this. There's so much that we've covered this morning. And I know the Spirit of God is moving. If God is working in your heart, tell somebody. I'll be down front as we sing a song. I encourage you to let me know. Let someone you're sitting next to know. Pray for one another. Care for each other. Love one another. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the love of your son and the example he set on the cross. Father, right now I ask that as you move, if anyone does not know the love you have for them, that today they know how much you love them. I also pray for our church that through Christ, our love for one another will grow and overflow out of our lives. Father, I pray for faithfulness to what you're calling us to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.